Welcome back to the final episode on Fight Club here on Literary Guys. I'm Dr. Gordon McCallan. And I'm author Zachary Kellyan. Final episode of Fight Club and maybe the final brunch at Stardust. Yeah, this has really got me worried because I feel like we started something here. And much like Project Mayhem, this kind of went sour real fast. Yeah, they are no longer doing brunch as of today. This is the farewell brunch, and for those of you who know me, I don't like eggs. And pretty much everything on the menu was egg-based, eggs benedict, scrambled eggs, eggs over easy. So I guess I'm not terribly torn up over it, but the Bloody Mary bar was pretty amazing. You know, I think they, they went astray with some of the brunch rules. I think the no shirt, no shoes rule was a violation of healthcare guidelines. And I'm pretty sure that the fact that you couldn't talk about brunch outside of brunch wasn't a great advertisement for brunch. No, but I also think at this table, the bottomless mimosas were probably not making this a winning money maker. That is very fair. You have switched your drink up, by the way, to a blood and sand currently. Yes, this is a classic cocktail. A lot of people don't know about this one. I think it was maybe, what would you say, maybe three years ago where Crystal turned me on to this yeah, one. Yeah, That she was saying, if you like Humphrey Bogart movies, oh, yeah. this is the cocktail you should be drinking. And she explained that it's actually named after an old Bogart film. Mm-hmm. It's a fascinating cocktail. It's a scotch base. Very few of those cocktails out there. And it's scotch. It's sweet vermouth. It is cherry hearing or other cherry style liqueur and then orange juice sometimes a little bit of soda on the rocks look it up it is something which is massively underrated as a cocktail i actually prefer mine with a nice rye but if you're gonna do scotch and this is not a sponsorship i've got to say johnny walker black surprisingly it works great great tip gordon i'm actually very envious right now i think i might might, might order that next my bloody mary is looking a little weaker by comparison well we can always do something about that or crystal can at least So here in the final episode on this book, we've covered a lot of ground. Folks by this point know that I did not care for this book. I found it very angry and Mm -hmm. pointlessly so. And I found the ending just a little confusing. In fact, we were talking before we hit the record button here. It's kind of unclear how this book ends. The movie version, which maybe we should talk a little bit about here. Yeah. The movie version is obviously such a fundamental part of our pop culture history now. It came out in 1999. What frat boy did not have a Fight Club poster tacked to his dorm room wall? Right, right, right. Um, so I think the movie really is, is a lot of our touchstone for some of the themes that this book is tackling. The movie, you can argue, probably does a better narrative job of telling the story, whereas the book probably delves a little deeper into the pop psychology of masculinity. So it depends on what you're looking for. Are you looking for an entertaining thrill ride uh, with Brad Pitt looking amazing in all his abbed out glory? Yeah, in fact, I should watch that again. (laughs) Or are you looking for, you know, an opportunity to sit around in your book club and and talk about what it means to be men? Because I think that's really what Fight Club has done for us. We've had some great discussions about masculinity based on this book. So for me, that's a win right there. I'm a big Chuck Palahniuk fan, so I really enjoyed the book, and I enjoyed the discussion that we've been having. I've enjoyed the discussion, as I said last time. Did not enjoy the book. But let's talk about how it wraps up here, because we've got Project Mayhem coming to a head. We've got a rooftop scene, a questionable suicide, depending on how you want to think about it. And then, Don't forget and- the nutting. We've got several cases of people being castrated. Mm-hmm. 
There, it's a lot. Project Mayhem's running off the rails. And I, I think, um, you know, his office blows up. His boss is killed. He is trying to track down Tyler Durden. He's going all around the country trying to find this enigmatic figure that was once such a part of his life and now seems to kind of operate in the shadows. If you haven't figured it out by this point in the book already, it starts to become pretty clear before the big reveal. Right. Because every place he goes, every bar he visits around the country, there's a guy with a black eye or a neck brace who kind of gives him a nod, calls him sir. When he asks, where's Tyler? They ask, is this a test? Or they give him a sly wink. We start to figure it out even before the narrator does that, oh my gosh, he is also Tyler Durden. This has been, all of this, uh, an act of his split personality, which I remember when I watched this movie in 1999, really being blown away by. I didn't see that coming. It was kind of just one of those first cool twists, you know, in the era of M. Night Shyamalan and all that stuff. I think it was something that got people talking. It feels a lot more organic in the book. I don't think it's meant to be so much a surprise that it is a device. I think you're right. meant to figure it out before the rug is swept out from under our narrator, which I appreciate because you can really kind of enjoy some of the subtlety that's baked into it leading up to there. But yeah, then he's got to figure out, okay, how do I stop my dual personality? How do I stop the Tyler side of my personality who only seems to act when I'm asleep? How do I stop him from carrying out Project Mayhem? And he goes to some very drastic measures, including uh, signing up for 50 fights in a row at a fight club, mm-hmm. which is is a brutal scene in the book. I mean, I even had to feel a little squeamish on those parts. There's some really visceral descriptions of a man getting his face just beat in, and it's tough to listen to, but that didn't work. Uh, and so he goes to another extreme, which is to put a gun in his mouth and end his life. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I think to your point, how does it end? I think... The movie ends with him surviving the gunshot, kind of unexplained, right. I think. And then he and Helena Bonham Carter, as the skyline is incinerated around them through the explosions of Project Mayhem as we listen to the soothing sound of the pixies. So very different from this where he wakes up in heaven, question mark, in a Maybe hospital, a hospital. Room. Yeah. I don't. How did you read it? Well, it was a little unclear to me, but I'm thinking... It- it's a hospital room because for no other reason than I knew that there were books that came after this book. Yeah. So I figured he still had to be alive. So that was kind of the way I skewed my view of this. Yeah. He certainly thinks he's in heaven. Oh, his, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. his yeah. take on it. But then, yeah, we kind of get this little bleed over into reality of guys with blackened eyes, guys with busted lips coming into his heaven and bringing him meds or bringing him mm-hmm. what have you. Um, so... Uh, if you want to interpret it that way, I think it's a very easy read that he survived this and that he still is, if not Tyler Durden in split personality, is still viewed as that iconic figure by Project Mayhem. He failed then at what he attempted to do. Right. Tyler Durden was probably too big at that point to actually excoriate him from the world, I think, uh, or exercise him from the world. I think Tyler Durden's here to stay. It's kind of the message, perhaps, that we could take away from this. So the topic that I wanted to get into today was that this part of the book, it starts to raise up a number of questions about male friendship. And I know this is something we've touched on already in our first few episodes of Literary Guys, and it becomes rather pronounced here. In fact, I'd like to read a quote to kind of kick off the discussion. Long story short, now Marla's out to ruin another part of my life. Ever since college, I make friends, they get married. I lose friends. What do you make of that, Zach? I mean, that's, I think, a, a reality that people face, uh, but particularly men who generally have a harder time making friends. 
or keeping friends or developing new friendships. And I, I think it's something I've related to. You know, one of the differences of the many between us, I'm an extrovert, you're an introvert. Correct. Do you feel like that has hampered your ability to make friends in your adult life? Not being that guy who's trying to be the life of the party, not always going out, not always putting yourself out in those situations. Whereas in high school, you were kind of thrust into those situations whether you liked it or not. So I'm going to answer that question carefully because I actively am putting myself out there. I agree. I, so, I, admirably so. So it isn't my natural state of being. But I can't really say that it's not happening because I am actively doing something about it. So you're getting over your fear of... Fear is a strong word. No, I, I, I don't think fear is the right word, actually. I'm using fear as a nation. I'm using fear as an analogy to the discussion we had last week about, okay. about the, the fear of change, the fear of something new. It's not in your comfort zone to be out at a bar at two in the morning. Correct. But you have been out at a bar at two in the morning. Absolutely. You know, pre-pandemic, and you've met many great friends. I, I moved here to Seattle after you mm-hmm. and have benefited from the amazing network of friends that you have. So I think fear, far too strong a word, but it's that same idea of, am I going to be content? I'm content as an introvert. I'm not meaning to speak for you, but you're content as an introvert, staying at home most nights, enjoying a nice wine, listening to some of your LPs. But you know that's not the way to go about life. You know the ultimate happiness comes from the, the great friendships that you've made and the people that you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. So you push yourself out there maybe more so than a lot of other people do. For me, it's about a mix. Okay. I need a mix of those things. Like yeah. I need the nights listening to you know a Dvorak cello concerto. And the nights where I am out at a, a bar with a go-go dancer, for instance. Like, I, I need that mix in my life. Also, hanging out with wonderful friends and the inspiration and joy that they give me. I think the thing that really comes out here is that for me, having friends around me brings some level of normalcy and of coping. The ability to to talk with my friends about mm-hmm. some of the things that are challenging me, about some of the things that may not be going well in my life, of where things hurt, of where I'm hurting, or also to celebrate the successes. And so both sides of the, of the coin. And I also think that one of the things that doesn't make sense about this book is, or maybe it's the point that Chuck Palahniuk is trying to make, is that without that social network, these things build up in a person. These things fester. These hatreds, these angers, these negative feelings that are all about Project Mayhem, the confusion. Mm -hmm. I think friends and the ability to be open and honest with friends helps defeat those demons that I think are part of the masculine experience. Well, he's developed no actual male friends throughout this experience. That's a really good point. Tyler Durden may have, but Tyler Durden was a reason for him to break out of his fear. He was he was attracted to Marla, but too scared to say anything to her. So Tyler Durden was created within himself to to be that man that he wanted to be, to impress that woman, to save her life, what have you. And I think that's carried along in the relationships that he has with the guys. Speaking of male friendships, so you've just given me a gift and you don't even realize it. I oftentimes struggle when I'm out with guy friends trying to decide, has my buddy had too much to drink? And uh, not knowing, you know, is he okay to drive? Is he okay to, like, walk Mm -hmm. home even? Uh, I'm just going to ask him to say Dvorak cello concerto three times fast. And if I hear too much slurring in that, I'll know. I Hopefully I made it through the test here. Barely. Barely. Okay. (laughs) No, I think it's it's a good thing I live within walking distance to the Stardust. Absolutely. 
I think you're I think you're absolutely right though in terms of the when we see the the ugly part of masculinity that we see here in 2021 are you know mass shootings and mm-hmm. domestic abuse and murder suicides and all that stuff and a lot you know you don't often hear that these guys are well liked life of the party many many friends type people they they tend to be loners and I do think there's something inherent within us where if we live in our own vacuum. Uh, where our, I best, a better analogy would be our own echo chamber. When we can only hear our own thoughts, we're only subjected to our own feelings about things. That can be a very toxic environment for both men and women, for humans in general. But I think we see with men how it gets taken to such an extreme, like in the book with Project Mayhem, because there are no actual male friendships being formed in this book. Mm-hmm. There's no one keeping anyone in Project Mayhem in check. No, no one just kind of saying, hey, do you think it's a good idea? Or like, is this the most productive way to deal with this situation? You know, it, it, it brings up a, um, a disconcerting observation that I've always had about men. And, and I am proud to be a man. Gosh, I'm so happy that I don't have to deal with what women and, and trans people have to deal with in this world. I, I, I feel very lucky to be a man. It, there are certainly a lot of advantages that come with it. And I enjoy being a man just in terms of my own personal identity. That said, one of the things that's really disappointed me about men is I feel like we tend to be sheep in a lot of cases. I feel like you will see men follow a strong leader far more readily than you will see women follow a strong leader to detrimental consequences, be it in the military or in a terrorist cell or in a group of bullies or in a crowd crush at a soccer game, whatever it might be. I feel like men tend to be followers more so than leaders in a lot of cases. And I do feel like that's one of the things this book is saying, because there are no voices of reason within Project Mayhem. Tyler Durden has to become the voice of reason himself to save the world because no one else is checking him. No one else is questioning any of the insane things he is asking them to do because he made them feel good for one night. He made them feel cool for one night. And now they're going to follow him to the ends of the earth. Granted, that's an exaggeration from a literary perspective, but it's not too far off from what I see in the real world. So I think you just made a really good point that I hadn't really contextualized this book as, but I think maybe it speaks a lot to why I didn't like this book, Hmm. which is that I have a really big problem, and I know a lot of other gay men will say the exact same thing, which is I have a really big problem with bullies. Yeah. Like, that is one of the few things in this world that literally makes me angry. Just thinking about that, thinking about that behavioral structure, thinking about the mindset of channeling your own problems into someone else's unhappiness and their derision. And so maybe part of what I don't like here, and it's an interesting lens to look at this through, is is Project Mayhem just a bunch of bullies? It's interesting. I mean, Chuck Palahniuk is a gay man. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if, if that plays into it, if that's some of the experiences that he has had with groupthink, with men being followers, that, that often leads to bullying. Because you could look at this in one way as it doesn't paint a very pretty picture of men in, in some regard. No, I don't think his book at all paints a good picture right. of men. Uh, let me ask you a personal question, if you sure. don't mind diving into it. Uh, you I are can somebody, always edit it out if I don't want to. So. <laughs> that's true. You are somebody who came out later in life. This is true. Do you think that could have subconsciously or was in part a reaction to, you know, we went to high school together. I don't know that you were bullied for being gay necessarily because no one knew you were gay. But 
that was certainly all around. You know, this was back in the 90s when you would use the word gay to mean lame. So like, oh, that's so gay, mm -hmm. or don't be gay, or even worse, we'd use even stronger language than that sometimes. Not really having a clue of what we were saying, I don't think, but at the same time, there, there was a strong emphasis on heteronormative action and anybody who felt outside of that was going to be derided or possibly be the targeting of bullies. Did that in any way hinder your own journey? I'm sure it did. Yeah. And while you and I knew each other at a time when I, I would say that it would just be being on the outskirts of a high school society for being different or not the norm, not necessarily something having to do with my sexual orientation, that I, I was bullied for that, that kind of behavior more aggressively before that time. And so I think that definitely had left some long-term scars there. Right. And, you know, I've been bullied for being gay, too, even though I'm not gay. I'm a straight man. But some of the, the things that I do, we, we both were in theater when we were in high school together. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was on the wrestling team, but at the same time, I was also, you know, a part of the literature club. So I had some things that... I thought you were going to say that you were on the wrestling team, but on the other hand, you were also on the wrestling team. I can't talk about being on the wrestling team. Yeah. That's one of the rules of the wrestling team. You know, I was I was certainly called an FAG mm -hmm. and and derided because I was more emotional and you know I'm not I'm not the tallest guy in the world, so I, I think every man has faced that to some extent, and I think that has reinforced a lot of the toxic masculine behavior because it's like oh even though I'm not gay I better not step out of bounds here and you know pay attention to this work of art or listen to this love song you know I've got to really you know, keep it on the straight and narrow or otherwise mm -hmm. I'm going to be targeted by bullies and that of course leads to the echo chamber we were talking about earlier of kind mm -hmm. of self-isolation and feeling like you don't have an outlet you don't have any friends you don't have anyone who understands you but I think you know to the same point I think I was saying this to you just the other day that one of the things that I've definitely noticed as you've gotten older is that you've more embraced that intellectual and more emotional side of your personality which I think has only been on the positive yeah I think for me you know it if you knew me in high school, I had a shaved head and I was on the wrestling team and uh, Gordon knew me in a different light because we were close friends. And so I think he saw a little bit Word? of the, I, I mean, it's a, <laughs> can we talk about this outside of the podcast? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cause yeah, it's, let's just say brunch is not the only thing ending today. Oh man. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, he, he obviously saw a different side of me, but I, I kept that side very close. Uh, only my best friends knew that I liked fine art films and I liked reading classic Russian literature and all of that stuff. I, I agree. I think, well, I'd like to take credit for growth for me anyways. I don't know if this is true for you. For me, I've embraced a lot more of the artistic side of my qualities, my intellectual side, because society is more accepting of it now. You know, I know I can go out on a date with a woman and tell her that I'm a professional writer and she's not going to scoff at me. She's, mm -hmm. That's cool now. Whereas maybe 20 years ago, if I wasn't, you know, talking about going into the NFL or I wasn't looking at, um, I don't know, some big stockbroker thing on Wall Street, that people might not have been as interested or they might have not understood my choices better. So I think society's grown a lot where it's helped. I don't know if society's growth has helped your journey at all. I think it has, but it's also been a very personal journey as well. Yeah, you've you've been very open about your journey, and I think that's one of the things that I identify with masculinity. You know, you've you've taken going back to the topic from from last uh, week's episode, but I think you've really taken agency of your own journey, and that's a very important aspect, I think, to how I would define any man or any self actualized person, really. But I think because we have so many advantages as men, which we do. Mm -hmm. 
um, it's incumbent on us to have that agency and to take those advantages and to use them for good, you know, and I think that's one of the things that you've certainly done. You're a, you're a very private person, which might be surprising to people who are listening to you on a podcast talk <laughs> about your coming out experience, but you really are a private person. But I think when it comes to your sexuality, one of the things that I've noticed is changing you is, you know, maybe a couple of years ago when you were still on that journey, you weren't talking about it as openly and now you're very free about it. And now I almost think you look at yourself as a little bit as a vanguard of what a coming out experience could be and what a personal growth journey could be. So much so that I as a straight person can kind of relate to your journey because I can see it's about so much more than identifying as, hey, I'm romantically attracted to men. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about saying, hey, this is just who I am, whole cloth. This is every bit of me and I'm laying this out in the open and that's okay and it's a good thing and I'm happy that I found this. And I think that that's a lesson that anybody can take away from a a friend's journey that they might be having is that we can all grow. We can all stand to be a little bit closer to ourselves, a little bit more honest with who we are as men. And that's why I liked Fight Club. I think that's what it's trying to say. I think you're seeing the overt negative side of it, but I don't think it's a negative message for men. I think it's a satire that's really trying to turn our thought process on its head. Well, I think this is a great place to start to wrap things up because I think the discussion that we've just had really speaks to what I was hoping that literary guys could be, which is, yeah, it's a discussion on these books, but it's a jumping off point. Yeah. It's really an opportunity for us to, to look at some of the positives and negatives of our culture today and the choices which we make, the environment we grew up in. Obviously, we talked about fathers last week. And to look at this as a synthesis, a discussion, and hopefully a way to grow. And I think that's exactly what this book, which I did not like, has somehow enabled us in this forum to do. So thank you very much. I I think that's exactly what I'm looking to get out of this as well, and hopefully share with everyone who's choosing to listen to this. Chuck Palahniuk, who's one of the strongest, most unique literary voices in America today, wrote this book specifically for men's book clubs. And I think that that is really cool that we had a chance to kind of talk about it and I think we see why it works at least in that format maybe not an enjoyable read especially for you but certainly a a jumping off point for larger and broader discussions which we need so much more of in this day than I think we ever have before well with that I think it's time to thank the Stardust Lounge and to bid a fond adieu to the brunch here I think we'll be returning returning to the supper part of the evening where we typically record our sessions for our next book, which will be Middlesex, Jeffrey Eugenides Middlesex, which is about a trans man. So I'm really excited to kind of tackle that subject because it's something so prescient in this era and something that I think we really found important when we were starting Literary Guys is that we never wanted to define what a man was. We just wanted to talk about masculinity in general. Yeah. I think that's going to be a really good discussion. So yes, a fond farewell to brunch. Years from now, I'll probably be laid up in a hospital bed and an orderly will wield up and he'll have a little bit of a Bloody Mary stain around his mouth and he'll Mm -hmm. say, brunch is missed. And I'll know that brunch might return, perhaps in the form of a graphic novel. But for right now, it's been a good good run, Stardust, and uh, I'll I'll see you in in the late evening again, Dr. McAllen. And for our listeners, you can follow us at Literary Guys. You can find us on literaryguys.com to see the list of upcoming books that we will be talking about. Hopefully, it's in your next-to-read list. And with that, I'd like to say goodbye to brunch here at the Stardust Lounge and say this has been Literary Guys, signing off.